0: Are you looking to sharpen your command and leadership skills? The 2024 Blue Card Hazard Zone Conference is coming back to the Sharonville Convention Center in Cincinnati, Ohio, September 30th through October 4th. Immerse yourself in five days of targeted command education and leadership training at the 2024 Blue Card Hazard Zone Conference. This is your opportunity to recharge your command skills and stay at the forefront of incident command best practices. This year, we've added a certification lab, September 30th through October 2nd. Also added, a Mayday workshop October 1st to October 2nd. The General Conference is on October 3rd and 4th. The Mayday workshop is filling up fast, and our early bird pricing of $415 each for the General Conference is a limited-time offer. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Register now at HazardZoneBC.com. Today we've got John Vance, Terry Garrison, Nick Brunacini, and uh, we're talking leadership topics. It's good to see you guys again.
1: Nice to be seen. You're looking good. Like the beard?
0: Yeah, it's my interim beard. I'm I'm just, you know, I I haven't been able to uh, grow a beard for the last, whatever, 20 plus years.
1: It's good. It's good color.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My brother-in-law calls me Rob Reiner, though. I don't think that's too complimentary.
1: I don't know. If Rob Reiner's a successful guy. His beard didn't hold him back.
0: Not a good looking guy, though. I mean, you could say like even Sean Connery. I would have taken.
1: Well, but he—he's a good kisser. <laughs>
0: nope. Rob Reiner, or Sean Connery. <laughs> yeah,
2: I don't
0: know. <laughs> So's your mother, Trebek. How about that yeah, right. So what's going on with you guys? Yeah, the beard
2: don't do much for the kissing though. No, really, no. it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't make that better. Girls don't like the.
0: Oh my wife, know. yes, yeah, nah, it, yeah. So what's happening around here?
1: We're working, right, Nick? Sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What are you guys working on?
1: We're working on our silverback leadership. Mm -hmm. We're putting that together. You know, we did the presentation in Ohio, and uh, that was kind of the introduction to it for some people that showed up there. I think we had, what, a couple hundred people that sat through our class where we kind of did a quick overview of the – Eight functions, as we're calling them, silverback leadership, and right now what we're doing is uh, we're still going through the material, Bernasini, God bless him, has so much information, man, we're still going through, but but basically we're going through, um, we're going through his uh, customer service book, his AMP, a customer service, anatomy and physiology, we're going through his no-brainer management and we're going through functional boss behaviors. We're going through all his napkins, all his posted cards, three by fives, tissue paper. What else? Am I missing anything?
2: Yeah, that's uh, that. That's about ninety percent of it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, he produced a lot of content on, uh, like Terry said, in a variety of places and recording methods, and th- that doesn't even get us into. Uh, One of the things we did here recently is we recaptured our video library. So we have, I don't know, literally hundreds of uh, beta tapes, and there's got to be 10, 12 hours of him in various things, talking and doing stuff. So we we have access to that. So like Terry said, we've, Terry took it all and kind of figured out these are the eight broad categories of this thing. So we're close enough now that we're starting to figure out, okay, this goes here, this goes here, this is how this is all going to come together. So we'll keep uh, wrapping that up. Uh, The first chapter of this thing that we're going to that we're putting together now is uh based it, it's the work. So uh, uh, of the eight different broad categories uh and that I th- in my mind the work is the most important part of all of it because that that's what makes us firefighters is the work we do.
1: Yeah, and and back to the leadership part just to make sure everybody understands. So what we're doing is we're repackaging. We're collecting and and repackaging what Bruno has done over his lifetime really and even up until the day that that he passed away he was taking notes cuz I have that I have his carry-on luggage in in my office so uh we're looking at all that so we're repackaging it up we know that we're not the primary experts in all of that but we knew the guy who was and he taught us, so we're going to repackage that up and then we're going to take some some of his stories that are in the books and then add some of our stories and things that we've learned over the last, uh, what, five decades of our lives. And uh, that's what we're going to present. So when you see that – yeah, it, it's it's kind of neat for me to look back and, and see all these phrases and terminology and the way Bruno talked. There's a lot of Brunoisms in there that we like to share because it made sense. Everybody kind of knows how he spoke, and we're using those. And uh, we quote him a lot, which is on purpose because he was the godfather of, of be nice and uh, what Nick and I are starting to call the uh, – Kindness conspiracy, which he created back in uh, beginning in the late '80s, and then really hit hit the really started uh, taking form in in Phoenix in the '80s, and then when he published his book in 1996, The Essentials of Customer Service, and we we went pretty much uh, nationwide then. But he had already been out talking about it and preaching it and.
0: For those unfamiliar, what is the kindness conspiracy? What is that?
1: Well, that's what we're, that's what we came up with. We're calling it that because, um, I remember early in my career when I started working with for Bruno, I was hired in 1977 and Bruno wasn't even the fire chief yet. He was the assistant chief and we had a fire chief who was pretty much an unkind person. And, uh, In fact, in our graduation, uh, our fire chief didn't even show up. There was 43 of us in our graduating class, and uh, fire chief didn't even show up. Uh, First time I ever met Bruno, he shows up at the graduation, walks up to each one of us, and not like you do – where you you know, you stand in line, you shake people's hand and you say whatever you think you need to say and move on. He actually came up to one each and every one of us at one point and introduced himself as the operations chief and welcomed us, welcomed us to the organization and that was a big deal. And he was being kind, you know, and it was it was one of those that, that's the beginning of the Be Nice. Of course, it wasn't his beginning of the Be Nice, but it was certainly my introduction to Be Nice in 1977. I had just got out of the military and spent a couple of years in my, my early years in the Army. And, uh, they weren't so nice to you there. Your bosses didn't actually talk to you and, and see how you felt about things. But here I got this operations chief in the Phoenix Fire Department coming up to me and actually being nice and talking to me. And it was kind of a conspiracy because, um, a lot of people back then, and I still think there's people today who think that being nice means, you know, kindness is weakness. Why would I want to show my weakness and being nice? No, the nice, the strongest thing you can do is to be nice to people, to be kind to them, so that we kind of coined the kindness conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I went on a long rant there, but I, I was kind of thinking back to the time when I first met him.
2: Well, when you look at his career, <clears throat> he became the Fire Chief, like Terry said, in 1978, and... Up to that point, he had been the uh, assistant chief in charge of the firefighting division was the title. And and I'm going to say he did that for like five years. But he started writing. He began the fire science program at Phoenix College, right, way back in the day. So that's how that got fired up. So him and his merry band were using the college system to teach, like, traditional fire department stuff. And that effort, he ended up writing Fire Command, and that got published in 85. So that became his first deal to fix the stuff that he had lived through the first part of his career. So he said, this is – when we go to the scene of fires – this isn't very effective, some of these things that we do, and we should do this instead. Right. So he kind of changed that around. And I mean, so like engine operations, ladder operations, initial radio reports, uh, attack teams –
1: well, that, the biggest thing he did is that we had to probably have a plan, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> incident
2: action planning. So you ended up with seven functions of command that did, identified these are all the things that need to happen at the incident scene. The per, there's one person responsible for all of them. That's the incident commander. And as it becomes more complicated and complex and hazardous, we expand not only the number of task level units, but you have to have a corresponding increase in the uh, the, the officers that you bring in to manage it all. So that's yeah. just kind of the way that went, and <clears throat> so he w- he was busy doing all that and 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 changing things uh, on like the occupational side of the fire suppression piece of it. So and that created certain conversations with the workforce, and some people were more on board with that than others. So <clears throat> that ended up developing once fire command was was out there and in the world, the next project they ended up taking on was a 1500 standard. So there was a group of people because he, he did fire command through the NFPA. And and so they produced that. And then he, the next thing he wanted to do was firefighter safety and survival. And we're going to do that with 1500. And this is how you're going to take care of firefighters. Just, you know, and so, a lot of like station stuff, uh, the EMS was a big thing. So infectious disease control, exhaust right. system, just a safer fire station to work in was part of it. And then like washers and dryers in fire stations. Don't take your uniforms home. You leave them here. This is the way you, blah, blah, blah. So just those kind of things. And then basically the way firefighters are taken care of then. And it was pretty interesting. As, so he ended up, back then there was a, uh, a gentleman named Al Whitehead who ran the IFF. He was the head of the Firefighters Union. So once Fire Command came out and they saw this 1500 thing, is Al Whitehead and Alan Brunicini ended up becoming good buddies. And said, Alan, we need this for the, the service. Uh, Murray Laughlin was the secretary of the 1500 committee, the first committee. That's how he got hooked up with him. So as they're making the 1500 standard, he starts to become more politically involved with fire chiefs across the American Fire Service. And as a group, they were opposed to 1500. The fire chiefs wanted no part of it because you're not going to tell me how I take care of my firefighters. So it was more of a plantation style of uh, attitude with these people this is mine and you can't tell me you don't get to regulate what i do with my firefighters well off it goes and and he actually started getting death threats from people during the formation of the firefight yeah your dad did oh yeah i got banker boxes still in this building that have that correspondence yeah he kept all this stuff wow yeah they you can't do this and he's well anybody that knew my dad they're like uh cheap noise yeah tell me what i can do pal yeah Come kill me. Most of them are cowards. People that, that, that make anonymous threats are cowards. They're not going to do anything like that. So anyway. Those are the only kind of threats I'll make. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you How go. silly yeah. is that, right? <laughs> yeah. silly. Well, and so anonymous that's what he did threats. with it. He thought, well, you're not sure stopping did, it man. at all. And they continued to do it. Now it's celebrated and then the rest of it. But back in the day, uh-uh. Well, you know, uh, yeah. And in fact, there's still that in this country today. It's never gone away. The
1: goods and the bads and the... It's Kind of back to that conspiracy. The reason that we kind of picked that kindness conspiracy—you started with that—we didn't know we were going to go there. But it, you know, it's it, the same way that it, back then you are weak if you're trying to create an environment for safer firefighting. That must yeah. be a weakness. Mm-hmm. You must, you must not understand how good I am at. This role or that role on the fire ground, you're going to try to control what I'm doing because your weakness, not because of mine. And as a leader, oh, you're going to be nice to them. Oh, that's that's weak, you know, being I didn't sign up to be their mom or their dad or whatever when you're treating people out there. Um, So it's kind of that whole thing really is kind of funny how in the fire service we're menly men and we the things that are really best for us and best for our customers internal and external over the years, has been looked out by a group of people as a weakness in the people that are trying to make that change.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I was shown this week stickers that someone's selling. One says, Defund Vector Solutions. Another <laughs> one says, Defund the NFPA. And the other one says, Defund Blue Card. There, there, there's guys making those stickers and throwing them on helmets out there still. I, so. <laughs> I, I, it'd be hard to defund us because we're a private company. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we're, no. we're, well, So's the NFPA, yeah, and yeah. I guess those vector, vector solutions. Yeah, those so vector solutions. Yeah. But so, it, so, so it continues <laughs> on. I mean, so they, yeah, they
2: don't want standards or training, <laughs> yeah. essentially, is yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah. don't tell me. Say, okay, we won't. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, curious, don't do it.
1: It'd be curious, you know, to ask them why. And then when they answer that, say why. Say why about four or five times mm-hmm. to get to the real reason. Why are you really... Why are you really against it? Well, you know, I don't want the, you know, those people making money
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> or well, whatever it is. There's really a strange reason at the bottom.
0: There's a group of guys still in this country that are pissed about not being able to ride on the outside of fire engines. I mean, that, that whole thing's still going on. So any, anyway, getting back to the you know, the, the, the the, the, A that.
2: lot of those same people are mad that their wife can vote. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. they can pretty much just go is really the way we context. No, you can't do this because it somehow is threatening to my masculinity. You know I, I'm what? not interested. And uh, the
1: other thing about that is a lot of those people never wrote on it because I was yeah, hired in yeah. 77, got a little seniority, not as much as some of our listeners. But how many people actually wrote? I think we wrote on it when I was. Uh, in '77, for the first year of my career, and then we were off it. We yeah. had a terrible incident with a Tempe firefighter, and she got tore up under the wheel wells. And it's like, no, that's enough of that. That was a predictable surprise. If you're going to go down the road, I mean, it's so obvious. Now. No, it
2: was 1985 and I was on engine two, and, and you were I on the back. rode on the tailboard of engine two, and we went and switched out our 1976 La France. You were doing it for an England. enclosed cab. Six seat fire engine, and that that was it. Engine two was the last five person engine company to have a six person seating. So you, in eighty five, we weren't on the tailboard any. Now you were wow, still riding it for I'm a surprised. little bit here and there, but it was by eighty eight you couldn't. It yeah. was this said no more. You you can't do it anymore for everything Garrison said.
0: Uh, I hated to get us down that rabbit hole, but my point is, is that mentality still exists out there, that, you know, people... Uh, 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 There's... there's,
2: I don't know where they get these old salts, but they hate fog nozzles. And you think the fog Mm -hmm. nozzle's been around since the 40s. Well, it's been around longer than that, but they really kind of came into vogue then. So, and that's... Uh, so I guess you'd be 90 that you could be spitting in the street over. You know, we're going to break the water into droplets. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I got hired in 80, they said the things that are screwing the fire service up is uh, is EMS and PMS. Mm-hmm. And you thought, well, we ain't going to stop either one of those things. And mm-hmm. it's still here. And it got better and better. Like, I joined in 80, and I retired in 2009, and I, I saw uh, – Constant improvement during my career, up until about the last few years. And how about that paycheck? Oh, yeah. That got bigger and bigger the whole time, too. Yeah. Yeah. So the more we did these stupid, uh, nice things and and more effective. So the people who don't want any more training, that means that if you go to a fire and— you can train your group up where like three engines and one ladder could take care of that fire. We're going to do it that way. But I, I, too, would rather go to the old system where you sent like 12 units and you'd sent three of them to the hospital. and But you felt better about yourself because you were spitting up black shit all day yeah. for the next week.
1: <clears throat> I have no idea you guys rode the tailboard that late into the 80s. Let's
0: take a quick break. Enhance fire ground leadership with our critical thinking and strategic decision-making class designed to strengthen incident command through the functions of command and foster a safer, more effective decision-making process for fire service professionals. The only critical thinking and strategic decision-making class at the Allen V. Brunicini Command Training Center in Phoenix, Arizona is May 22nd and 23rd. Sign up at bshifter.com.
2: There's a lot of things we were doing. You probably, <laughs> yeah. yeah. In fact, some of our buddies are getting fired in other parts of the country. It's just coming to light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that just, that amazes me
1: because I thought yeah. for sure we got off those a lot earlier than that. Mm-hmm. But, um, well, you- when
0: did 1500? Uh oh, 85, right? Wasn't that, wasn't that yeah, this, 85? Yeah, but
2: this this was before. This was... No, Fire Command came out in 85. I think the 1500 was uh, a few was, years after that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. See, but that I mean, <clears throat> that happened, and then the next thing was 1700, and that was a staffing standard, right. is what it started off as, and then that got all... Kind of cattywampus a couple years later with the between the IFF and the volunteers. So that that disrupted that. Mm -hmm. They made a different standard and they put it more for tactics and and the rest of it.
0: 1500 was published in 87.
2: Yeah. So that was and it took a couple years. So like fire command got done and then they they went into uh, 1500. When 1500, they actually got it done and uh, approved passed the nfpa said that's it It, is you're going to be the chairman this has never happened before but now fire command you we we can't keep it stocked and this this firefighter safety standard you're going to run the nfpa so and that's for he was the chairman for i don't know four years or whatever the hell that was so like
1: everything else he was whatever (laughs) he was working on nationally he had already incorporated in phoenix
2: Right? Yeah. We and, the yeah, that was a laboratory. We were, yeah. yeah, basically.
1: So we, were, we had a few years on. We were fortunate.
2: Well, and then what he did is, a, I don't know when they started, probably 82, 84, is we started doing the symposiums in Phoenix. The incident command was first. Right. And so what every year is he would just release everything that we had done the year before. That's so that's right. what the, the IMS symposium became, It's just right. kind of keeping up with the changes in the IMS system. And then that kind of became – he tried to broker that with uh, NIMS and and to kind of get it all under one umbrella, but that never ended up happening. But I think today that's a lot closer – than it's ever been because NIMS kind of sees blue card as the hazard zone piece of this thing. So if you're doing SCBA work, that's type four and and five. Exactly. And that is especially true if you've got a type one Mm. incident command team running something as they're starting to look at it now and say, okay, this is who's the structural specialist. What kind of certifications do they have? And so blue cards becoming more of a regular kind of element of just the standard scaling up NIMS type, three, two into one type event. So, but <clears throat> I don't know, kind of get to where we're going today is he did all this structural firefighting stuff, the yeah. coordinating, the safety piece of it and, and repackaging. This is what this should look like. This is the way this should go. And then he started to get into leadership, but it was having trouble making sense of it because it, it was it was more the core of the, the hazard zone work. And he said it wasn't until he wrote the uh, fire department customer service book that he could really start to make sense of leadership. Until you could put, like, a a face to the customer. He says, before we got into this, and he says, it just took a while for us to figure it out. He says, but our customer was the fire. That, that's who right. we built this whole thing around. And he says, and then we started doing EMS. And then he says, we kind of figured out in the middle of the night that the real customer now is the Mrs. Smith, Mrs. Is, Smith. is who we deliver the service to. And he says, that is when it changed for me as far as what leadership meant. As he says, it's different leading a place where you do customer service versus like occupational core type work. Right. Yeah. So that became the epiphany. So that's where he created all this stuff. And really, it's going through it. I think that Garrison and I were talking about it today. The customer service book is kind of the pinnacle of all that. It's the one place where it all kind of comes together. and You make sense of it. And a lot of that is because of the scenarios that you put in it. That he wrote it around. So finishing the guy's concrete who had the heart attack. Uh, The the, the cardiac patient on the airplane with the two rude medics that get with the doctor and the nurse that had been treating the patient. Those kind of things. So that's what we're looking at now is... See, I think that's the success of Blue Card is you took these simulations that were just the structure fires that we all went to and said, OK, here's the problems. This is we respond to these hazard zones. What's the best way to, to manage these incident operations? So over the years, that's what we've done is it's all based on the sims. So when people it, not to to. Beat the drum on the the morons that don't want training because once they see the effect of it, most of them. Will, well, I didn't know this is what it was. Mm-hmm. This makes sense. You know, we should be doing this. And this was the, the the people who were against blue card. Once my experience is, once they go through it, they'll tell you, "Well, I didn't know that this is what it was." Yeah. I had no idea. This just makes sense. This is the way we should be doing this because it's the most efficient and effective way to get right to where we need to be. Is it, it, it skips all this the nonsense. We, we we put water on the fire, we take care of the problem, boom, it's done. So instead of using 12 units to do something in 3 hours, we can do it in maybe 45 minutes with uh, six units.
1: And the key to the simulations is it it, it helps it helps you with the decision-making model, yeah. which is the mm-hmm. key, right? Yeah. They're not telling. We're not telling you exactly what to do. We're developing a process to. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's how I make decisions to determine what is the right thing to do, the sequence to do it, and the safe way to do it. That's the key to all that, and that's going to be the key to our leadership. Too, is that we're not going to tell you in this scenario do this and this scenario. Do yeah, it's this not works. a cookie cutter Chinese no, no, menu be, of, hey, of discipline. Here's some here's some, some uh, I guess key areas. That you can focus on as you're as becoming a leader, as you're in a leadership position, or if you're not a leader and you're you're part of a team, you're a follower. Here's kind of some some rules that. So I think it's going to work out really really well because it's going to be simulation based. You're going to be able to take your mind and apply it there. And the great thing about the simulations is we don't have to make them up. We just we've seen them. Well, yeah. Everybody's seen them. In fact, you know, I've worked in a couple fire departments, and I when I walk into a fire firehouse, now it's like, hi, I know that guy. Mm-hmm. He worked Four in that department, and that department, and that, that
2: department. Well, was, in your fire chief career, how many firefighters has that involved?
1: It, it's a dozen firefighters. No,
2: no, 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 no. Oh. Over the course of <laughs> your career. Dozen, oh.
0: Yeah, cumulative.
2: No. You're like, you, you went from, uh, <clears throat> don't count Phoenix. You went yeah. to be a fire chief in Oceanside. Yeah, a couple hundred. 185. Okay, so let's say 200 there.
1: Then yeah. where'd you go next? Then uh, Houston. Houston was uh, about 4,000, 4,200 at the time. Okay, so let's say
2: 4,500. Yeah. And
1: then Glendale. Glendale is about like what, 200? About the same as,
2: yeah. So 4,700. So almost 5,000 firefighters. Yeah,
1: a little more in Glendo. Yeah, and then I got to do some time, and <laughs> you'd think I couldn't hold a job. But yeah, so I've, I've been exposed to a lot of, now I didn't get to meet everybody. No, no, but, Houston, you, I mean, those are, yeah, but
2: those are still good-sized but fire departments. I thought you
1: were asking, like, how many firefighters, could you and I talk about, what are the number of fire fighter personalities out
0: there. Yeah. And a dozen.
1: We, about a dozen yeah. of them.
0: 10, right? 12, 14. You see them in every class we do. Yeah. It's like yeah. we've yeah, got the like same dozen, 12
2: guys. A dozen yeah. guys. Yeah. Well, but, you uh, you can talk about the guys who, hey, man, I made a grab. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they, yeah. they, they, those are all, we all know those people. You know what? <laughs> and if you asked
1: if you asked firefighters who worked for different fire chiefs and you said, how many different fire chiefs personalities? They oh. probably say, well, you got three. Yeah. Right. What you are mean, they? they? Uh, the guy that cares and supports you. Oh, that's that guy. <laughs> The guy that cares and supports no, you. No, he's number one. No, he's he or she's number one. No. The guy yeah. that cares and supports you. The guy who's working for the city manager. That not, one. That, okay. There's, it. there's, there's number That's two that one. <laughs> who doesn't care about you. And then the apathetic one who says whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm not going to show up. Well, he's, he's gonna, just
2: next to me. That I'm gonna, guy.
1: <laughs> I'm going to phone it in from here. But I, you know, there's like I would, I would bet. And we part of this training that we just. Uh, spent a little time with the other day is things that firefighters say about leaders mm-hmm. and about their fire chiefs. And there, we got a list of those. I think we shared it in one of our articles, but <laughs> or we will be sharing it. I think I shared it in the next one. Yeah. It, it, but it's pretty impressive that things that firefight, and this is once again, this is information that Bruno collected <laughs> and came up with a list and it's not all inclusive, but it pretty much covers what you need to cover about, how firefighters perceive their leaders or how they perceive their fire chiefs. But I, I've seen like three, you know, and three types. And you could tell when a fire chief really cares about you, right? Bruno cared about us. And and the thing that he does to support us, when you have a support officer who actually supports you or a logistics officer, whatever you want to call him, when you, you know, when you got an absent fire chief, everybody knows when a fire chief's absent and, and it's like, but nobody tells the fire chief, well, he's not there. You can't tell him. Yeah. And then we know that rat bastard who works for the city manager who just wants to get to the next fire chief job, the the larger job, the bigger badge, the more money, whatever. And you know what? He ain't even a fire, he or she isn't even a fire chief. They're just working for the city manager. It's like the city managers, the fire chief, or your elected officials are the fire chief. Bruno said it better than anybody. He says the best fire chiefs, and I think we could say leaders, but the best fire chiefs are validated by their workers, Mm -hmm. not by their bosses. Mm -hmm. I never – I cared how my boss felt about me. Honestly, I did. I wanted to make him proud and hopefully he thought I did a good job. But really, my value came from how the firefighters felt about what I was doing to support them. Not – I'm going to let them get away with anything. I'm not going to show, Yeah, you know, whatever you guys want to do, run rampant. Not that, but how you support them when times are good and how you support them when they have that day where they do something really goofy. And it's like you hold them accountable, but you support them. And, you know, it's it's kind of like a, I hate to use these analogies because firefighters say we're not kids. But, you know, it's that deal I talk about where your grand, my grandson runs out in the street, car comes, I get I run out, I grab him. First thing I do is hug them, you okay? And then I get, don't ever run out in the street again. You got to fix what mm-hmm. just happened. But, you know, you could take a moment and say, you okay, first. Uh, I don't know why I got on a tangent there. But you can kind of tell those type of fire chiefs, the ones that, that I've seen. And I'll tell you what, city managers, from what I've seen, and mayors <laughs> and elected officials do not care that, you, that the fire chief is a leader, most of them I should say. I'm sure there's some that care. But most of them they just want you to be a part of their team. Mm-hmm. A part of their you can be a part of the administrative team. You can work well with finance and legal and HR and all the other departments. And they don't care if your firefighters love you or if you're a leader, or if you're gonna do the right thing, if you're gonna fight for more fire stations and fight for better equipment. Um, that they're not interested in that. And so a lot of times
2: you know, in fact, them. many of them are against that. And just yeah. generally, no, it costs too much. Go away. So so fire chiefs, you know,
1: you you need to support your firefighters. You're there to support them and scream up, not scream down. And a lot of fire chiefs get in that positional power and they spend a lot of time looking at the mayor a lot of time yelling down at the people that work for him and very little time arguing for those same people and trying to get them better resources. Well,
2: the actual owner of the fire department is the community. That's that paid why we for started fire with department. the work, back to that. And, you know, you can say that the community elected the mayor to do this and this, but the, the the fire chief was hired to make sure that the fire department is delivering the proper level of service to the community first and foremost. Within that, you take care of the firefighters a certain way because that's the way, the same way they're going to take care of the community. So you get on the outside what you put in on the inside. No, you're absolutely right. So that's the follow ugly kids home and you're going to find ugly parents. Well, so the fire chief's got to be the advocate for the customer and then the advocate for the firefighter, and then they become the employee who works for whoever the authority having jurisdiction is. No, has. you're right. Yeah.
1: And a lot of city managers realize that, and we talked a little bit about there's, there's, if you look at a city or an organization, other I think fire districts are a little different because they don't have to compete against other departments. But if you look at a municipality, you have, consu- if you look at the different departments, you get the fire department, police department, HR, finance, all of those. There's conservers and there's consumers, and the two big consumer departments is police and fire. It takes—and and we are the biggest consumer. Now, you you may find that police have a little more money, but we're the ones that has constant staffing. Cops don't have constant staffing.
2: Yeah, but they still—there's twice as many cops. They, yeah, they, the they, the they, cop budget's always going to be at but, least 30, 40 percent more than fire. But they
1: argue with their budget as being, we need that many cops— With our budget, you argue a lot of no, I need this much overtime to cover all these positions because you have to have four, because I want to have four firefighters. Or if you've got three firefighters in your community, you want to keep staffed. So we're the only department that has constant staffing. So, city manager, I always saw, I watched this. I mean, it's incredible. City managers spend a lot of time having lunches and hanging out with finance directors, HR directors. Legal,
2: real estate lobbyist.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they're spending time with the conservers, the conserver like departments. And you don't see the city manager going to lunch a lot with the police chief and the fire chief. But what are they talking about at those lunches? How can we get that fire department under
2: control? How can we get that
1: police department under control? So, all they want to, and
2: by under control, they just want more of your budget back. That's all, that's what they're talking about. We need the money that we're, we're spending over here to go over here
1: No, you're absolutely right that's that's the control part the the money is the control so they they spend a lot of time doing that and you can see why they would but but if you said it a minute ago, if we're not the voice of the fire department and I go into fire stations all the time when I was a fire chief, what do you guys need here? Uh, Chief, we need a new saw, we need a new hearse tool, a new cutting device, we need SCBA. They're not asking for recliners and bigger TV sets. So I go back to the city manager and I say, hey, here's what we need. Oh, you guys always need something to do our job, to service the customers. We're not just sitting around the fire station
2: playing with our hearse tools. Well, you always need something. Okay. Over the last five years, does has the fire department... Gotten busier or slower? Busier. All yeah, time. it's always been, it's, it's It grows 5 to 10% a year, the volume. Yeah. So that attitude, oh, you're always asking for more things. Well, you're always sending us on more calls. It's the community that owns all this, they keep yeah. putting more houses in these places. Right. In fact, the density is going up in cities now, and nobody's responding to that like you should be. So where there used to be 100 residents, now there's a 1,000 of them. Well, we're going to need, oh, you need 10 times as many things. Well, no, not 10, but we're going to need two or three more stations to service this. That's so once your response times get up to around 10 minutes, if you backtrack, that's probably why is the population got bigger.
1: It's just funny because talking to you watch city managers and I'm I'm probably being critical because I can because I've seen it is. You see a guy over there in the solid waste department ask for a brand new um, garbage truck at the same cost of an engine company. They cost about the same. And oh yeah, we need more. We got more people. We got to pick up more garbage. These trucks are getting this old. I come up next and ask for a new fire engine. What the hell are you guys trying to do over there in the fire department? The same thing they're trying to do. We're trying to keep up with our equipment so we can go on calls. We. That's why you need us. That's why we need more fire engines so we can go respond to the calls, and they won't they won't bat an eye about a about a garbage truck, but a fire engine. What are you guys trying to pull? It's just incredible how it works.
0: Well, I, I've had a, a couple of very supportive city managers. Um, that that I would say the finance director was the person who was the the conserver and. Was pissed at us all the time about spending money, but I, I had a city manager and a mayor that was pretty big advocate for public safety, and forty six percent of the budget, like you said, there's seven departments in the city. Two of them, police and fire, take up 46% of the budget. So that, you know, the other five are splitting the, the about 50%. So Man, it was like 70% for it us is, back it, in the oh, day really, really. between
2: the police and fire. Uh, I mean, yeah. it was a bigger cut. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Not
1: only is it, it bigger, it's around it, for us, it was in the 70s. But also when you look at the garbage truck, they have inter- enterprise funds. Yeah. Airports have enterprise funds. So the funding comes elsewhere. It's not out of the general fund. And the general fund, we're in the 70s. But um, the thing about what you said about the finance director would be angry. So the role and I would I would talk to the finance director and and I say in your role to kind of support my department, we're a line department and you're a support department and your role is to help me understand, help me to understand what. How I can get what I get, need to get. Not to tell me whether I need it or not. I don't need you to tell me I need a new fire engine or bitch about the cost of it. But I need you to tell me, okay, we're going to do this as a sole source. We're going to bid this out. What's the process we got to use? Wherever you, wherever you go as a fire chief, the first thing the fire chief needs to do is go in and say, okay, what is our process for purchasing? And once you understand that, it's like, okay, that's – I get it. There's a process for purchasing. Here's a, here's these kind of items. Here's these kind of major capital improvement items, whatever they are. But what happens is you get into that, and then they change the process on you a little bit, right, when you're figuring out the process. Oh, yeah, well, uh-huh. you didn't do that right. No, you told me that was a process. No, you need to go out and do this and this and this. And they can take a fire station that needs to be rebuilt – And they can, with the city manager and a finance director, and they can move that thing two or three years down the road every two or three years because of the process. And that's frustrating.
0: And what sucks now is the cost just multiplies like crazy. If you look at a cost of a, what a fire engine was in 2018 compared to today. And if you kick that can, the other thing I want to say though too is fire chiefs don't know how to speak the language, the city council a lot of times. And, um, We In 10 years, we weren't accredited, but we used the accreditation principles to sell it to the city council. You go to the city council and say, fires, do you want to hold it to the room of origin, the building of origin, or the block of origin? Well, what are they going to say? The room of origin. Okay, this is what it takes to do that. We're going to need to get 17 firefighters on the scene in 11 and a half minutes or less, 90% of the time, blah, blah, blah. Do you, do you accept that? Do you, do you adopt that? Then you write it off as a former standard, formal standards of cover and get them to vote on it. Then, if they start cutting your budget or saying no to your firefighters or new fires, that they're directly on the hook for it. They made a goal that you cannot keep You're, up with. They just well,
2: they just quit funding it though at well, that point.
0: Well, they could they could, but then they it's, do. But then then it's up to them. Yeah, I mean, they, exactly. They, they are they are mm-hmm. the ones that are on the hook for it now.
1: Oh, you're right. And you can use that because you look at the city ordinance and I, in the last fire department I worked at, I actually went back and I said, (laughs) you can use that. And then the last fire department I I worked, we started talking about staffing and some minimum, they wanted to... um, possibly go down to a decreased staffing at night. Well, you don't need as many firefighters at night. Yes, I do. But anyway, uh, I do. You do. The citizens do. We all do. But uh went back and found a a city ordinance that said you couldn't decrease the service in the fire department. You could not decrease the level of service in the fire department. And this was one of those 10-year plans that a city put together that other city council members and mayor had signed off on. It's like right here, you can't do it. Oh, okay. Unless you change this, you could change that if you if you want to do that. But anyway. Well, we
2: kind of getting back to the leadership thing we're doing. And the work and talking about the work is there's two broad categories that we break it into. There's the core service which is like the technical it's like going through a blue card cert lab is it, that's the core service is I can do these things. I can follow the SOPs and, and, and manage my position within the scope of all that. And then there's added value that that's where like the frosting on top. And, and that's the way customer service was written is you got to be good at the core service. Cause that's what, that's the nuts and bolts of the fire department and you know, Water on the fire, all the other stuff that we do. So one of the examples that we're going to use to demonstrate this is uh, early in our careers is we politically our department politically took over the emergency transportation service in the in the basically the city of Phoenix and there were over a dozen different ambulance companies, private ambulance companies, that had shared it up to that point. And it was it was not their main service. Most of them would tell you it was represented 5 to 10% of their business. And it was, it was the business, the, the pieces of their business that were the hardest to collect on was that. But it was worth it because it was enough money that when you did get paid, it all kind of floated the boat then. But the problem became is getting an emergency ambulance sent to your residence was pretty much the same as getting a pizza delivered to your house. So if you couldn't get a pizza delivered because you lived in a place where they would like kill the pizza delivery person and take his vehicle and money and identity, then it was this, the ambulance company treated it the same way. It was a private business that said, we're not going there because we're not going to get paid. and You're going to harass our employees. And only we get to do that. Mm. So <clears throat> it wasn't uncommon for us to do CPR on somebody in certain areas of town for 30, 40 minutes. And, and, and finally, a, a Phoenix Fire Department rescue unit would get there. and You just use it to transport because the ambulance was going to be another 20 minutes. So that kind of became the thing. So this became this big political battle that went on between the, basically the fire department and the private ambulance service. Well because the fire department was set up the way it was, and we had, you know, all the different parts and the union president and the PIO and all the rest, is we were able to go into the city and do that. And so we took over that core service, right? So this kind of speaks to that uh, consumer and conserver. So we're putting this work together. I, I go in and I'm doing, I looked at the I don't know. It was from like two years ago. And I want to say that the ambulances in Phoenix, Arizona, and this was a document the fire department put out, represented like $40 million a year net after they paid salaries, apparatus, whole thing. It it was a significant amount of money. Well, that's like 20% of the budget during my career was that. So the reason we could do that is because we were better at the core service, is we could show up four to six minutes and interrupt the shock cycle and first one, second counts and all that. And so the ambulance supported that. Well, what's nuts is when we took that over, working on an AMBO changed. Now, most Phoenix firefighters, most firefighters anywhere, I would tell you, I do not want to work on an AMBO. But most people who work for an ambulance company would tell you i want to work for the fire department right so now you got firefighters staff and ambos well you got vacation you got sick leave you got a pension you have a career path and, and you know that's the other thing that kind of happened since we've all retired is most of the people who work for a fire department they would work for one two fire departments especially in the west uh, you know, we're we're But today, that's not the same. It's it's firefighters will quit and go somewhere else. I mean, that's just the way the employment works today. So I think the more, and they do that because they're not leaving because they want to go, I want to go to this fire department because they do this more. They're leaving because I want to go over here because I'll make more money and I'll be treated better. So it's a combination of those two things that pull, typically, firefighters from one department to another. So... Inside, it's worth it if you start treating the members of your organization like they're actually va- – as well as you want them to treat the customers, I guess. And, they, it?
1: And, they, and what we say in our training is that, you know, the difference between core value or uh, core service and added values. The core service is the professionalism and looking at it from the professional terms of the firefighter and added value is looking at it from the personal viewpoint of the customer. And you could do that with firefighters too, right? Mm-hmm. When you're a leader, and that's I think that's what Bruno did so well, is he? A lot of people get in a positional power and they forgot where they came from. Bruno was always thinking about, you know, what is that guy thinking? How does that guy feel about what I'm saying to him? How does that guy feel about uh, me changing this part of their job? You know, we we changed a lot in our organization. He said one thing we're going to do all the time is change, but he always. He always spoke with us early on and said, okay, well, here's the change we're doing. And then we'd see how that, how that affected and did it, and it, when we did change, did it increase our level of customer service and did it increase our firefighter safety? So when you say that we were able to pick up the transportation piece, it's because we were supported by the citizens because early on the citizens liked
2: the way we treated them. Well that's what he I mean when he was talking to the city council in the, these public forums and open meetings he says we, we're having this discussion in the wrong place. We need to go to wherever the next call is and wait with that patient for the ambulance to come right He says they're waiting for 30 to 40 minutes for that's the, the average I want to say was over like 20 minutes to get an ambulance yeah. a, a, across the city that was the number and it was just unacceptable back then it was today who knows but and that was enough to say no you can have it and i mean through because the entire fire department wanted it the fire department and the union it okay we're going to get it here we go well 250 people more we hired i think to staff the ambulances before and we had no idea what we were doing i mean it was like okay we got them. what are we going to do well we'll put 16 in we think that'll be enough or whatever the hell it was but that was that became it
0: So I asked your dad once what was the most difficult politically mountain he had to climb as Mm -hmm. a fire chief, and he said it was the ambulances. So what was was politically tough about that? Who was he getting the fight from, to to put that? The
2: ambulance companies. Yeah, the
1: vendors, the private vendors were fighting. Lincoln
2: Ragsdale Mm -hmm. owned uh, whatever he owned. So we were able to convince
1: him, or he was able to convince him, that – it's better for the customer when we own the the treatment, pre hospital care treatment scenario from dispatch to delivery. Mm-hmm. We own that entire piece, it's better. Because not only would we wait twenty minutes for an ambulance, but when they got in the back of that ambulance like Hey good luck. We oh, don't yeah. know what's her. And I'm Horrible. not saying ambulance people were bad, but there was no control over them by the way. Private
0: ambulance owners were notoriously cheap and that there was more than yeah. one private ambulance I've been in the back of where you're getting CO poisoning and you're almost putting your foot through the floor cuz the ambulance has fallen apart and the crew was all over the place. You didn't know training, what you were going to get. Yeah.
1: Driving yeah. and all the, all the other stuff yeah. that goes on with that. So it's You had no for control the over the transportation it's piece for the of it. Yeah. When we own it from the beginning to the end.
2: That's the, and we've had it ever since. I mean, and then, it, the end, and then you make money. Well, and that the other part was the state because the state gave you the certificate of need, the CON, to run the ambulances. So there were multiple positions. So you had to be hooked up to the governor. Well, the, you know, Pat can tell me was more hooked up with the governor than the fire chief was. So it became, see, and this is what happens when a fire department doesn't fight inside with itself. Is because the union and the administration said, no, 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 no. We're going to make delicious things. We're not going to fight inside. And we can focus on all of us doing this better. So. Nobody understood that any better than those two and, during the, their careers in those positions. And
1: to this day, if, if a fire, if a city fire department wants to move into the transportation piece, then they have to uh, apply for a certificate of need, and then that certificate of need gets challenged by private agencies. Yeah. Now, that's not that way in Texas. Texas and other states are completely different, but in Arizona— they would challenge you and they would get, I mean, it's like a court of law where, no, here's the reason why we think we can deliver that service to the customer. Why
2: do they need to do it? Well, those are the arguments then. And yeah. so like the city says, yes, well, t- we want our fire department to have it. Well, then the the private companies say, well, this is just the government. Take They're, they're just taking over private business. This is horrible. Yeah. And they're going to put me out of business now. And you're like, no. <clears throat> See, when we took them over, I thought, well, why, why don't we do inter facility transports oh, right. and we can have our own ambo like force that aren't firefighters and maybe it's an entry-level job within the fire department and and so we can look at these people that we're going to hire for the rest of their lives as adult workers and, and they're going to do the worst work we have the, the the least desirable work would be working on an ambo Right. I mean, if you have a seniority based system, that's going to be the last position to get filled or the well, ammo spots.
1: The the privates will absolutely fight you I and mean, they'll spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to keep interfacility facility transports. They see the writing on the wall, oh, yeah. eventually <laughs> give up the emergency care because once again, we go into some neighborhoods where you may or may not get paid. But that's guaranteed money in a facility.
2: Well, the other thing that they were pimping in the documentation I looked at is the collection rate is, I think, still over 75%. So they're still collecting over 75% of what they're billing every year.
1: What he says is they being Phoenix. Yeah, the Phoenix Fire Department. Because a normal ambulance company collects... Much less than yes.
2: on the emergency transports. It's yeah. probably less than 40%. Mm-hmm. Well, we figured out, and you had to hire people to do that, mm-hmm. to, to yeah. get it up there. Well, then it becomes a math problem. That's all businesses is, is okay. I'm going to hire these, these eight people and they're going to be my billing department and they're going to cost me X amount of dollars a year. Well, they're going to make X times 10,000 for me because I made that investment. So, that, but, <laughs> But you build it forever then. It's not – see, and that became the thing because at one point it became threatened as other people wanted to come back to take the ambulances away. So now the workforce is like, well, what's that going to look like? Well, this is – just Google how much I would make working for a private AMBO in this zip code. And then that's what your new salary will be because that's – you won't work here anymore. You're signed to the AMBO. They're going to take it all.
1: So, you asked what we're doing, and we started talking about uh, the Silverback leadership and the very first function. <laughs> we cover the work. The work. The work. And then we talk a little bit about how the work evolves, and we end up with the ambulance being the latest piece um, kind of to how the work has evolved. And we talk a little bit about how we interact with our agencies, like the people that the elected officials and the city managers and kind of the role of the leadership in that. But this whole first piece talks about the work, and there is a lot of that. You know, if you just focus, that's what Bruno did. He just focused on the work, focused on the workers, focused on the people getting the treatment. And that was it. The Mrs. Smith and the firefighter Smith. That's function number one for us. And then there's seven other functions. And the next piece that we are starting to, uh, you'll see some articles come out is the inside outside customer service piece. Then we'll move on to personal effectiveness. And we'll, so we, we have this, uh, eight areas that we're, we're going to cover, but the work itself. If we don't get a really good understanding of that, and I think Nick's got a better understanding than I do because he was probably had better, closer conversations to his dad how this thing evolved, but we got to really get a good idea of the work before we move on through the rest of it because it's absolutely critical.
0: And and the the sub uh, statement would be. Being good at your work, right? I mean, when, when, that, that's that, 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 That's what it is. I mean, yeah, it's like you, training, and you got to be having good procedures. You got
1: to be capable and competent, well, and they, you got to be caring. I mean, it sounds yeah. silly to throw those words out, but when you have conversations about, like, if we weren't caring to Mrs. Smith and added value to her early on, we would have never arrived at the point where we could transport them. Because the customer would have said, I don't like the way they show up and treat me on the scene. I don't want to get in the back of fire department ambulances. And there are some places across the country, I would imagine, where the community is going, don't give the fire department anything else. We don't, we don't want them rescuing our cat out of the tree. We talked
2: about the scenarios. One of the scenarios that's going to be in the work is we have an instance where uh, an individual who is known to the group of us very well, Had some uh, needs for fire department services. And she lived on the border between my city and the next city, next door. And my fire trucks were red and the other cities were yellow. And she told a person, a family member of hers, I don't want them to send any more red trucks to me. Send the yellows. And the yellows would show up and they would be nice to her. And the reds would show up and it's like, you do not meet our standard for an incident. You're a crazy person. You don't need us. Well, the yellows would show up and let's say they, they, they're going to spend five minutes with her. The yellows would spend a positive five minutes and leave her feeling really good about herself when they left. The reds were pissed off that we had to go and tell you that you don't, you're not sick enough to need us. So that's kind of the thing. Like now, the core service was the same between the two. The added value sucked for us, and it was good for the yellows. That that's kind of the way that worked. Mm -hmm. So that becomes the thing. It's no, 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 no. Reds, you can't be mean and rude anymore. You well, but I'm a great tactician and an a shifter, Mm -hmm. and I have a twelve pack. And I and and, and nobody gives a shit about that. What you're taking money from the fire department to. Deliver service to the customers that put your ego somewhere where it's not going to kill you because that's what it's doing. And if you think about it,
1: if you think about when we hire firefighters and part of this is how you develop an organization, we hire firefighters. We they don't have the competency but you interview them to see if they got that caring piece, right? And we hire people that say, sit across from the table and say, "Yes, I'm really going to care about the customer. Are you going to care about them at two o'clock in the morning? Yes, I'm going to care about. Them. Are you going to care about them when they smell like vomit or shit or they're crazy as hell? Yes, I'm going to care about them. You going to care about them on the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl when the lights go off? Yes, I'm going to care about them. Do they? Do, the, do, the, do you hold them accountable to that? And they in the last city I worked in, they would say, live in the interview, right? Mm-hmm. Do, they were yeah. most proud of people who lived the interview throughout their entire career.
2: I worked on B-Shift my whole career. They'd ask me the questions, are you going to care about him i tell them no. <laughs> well, what's that going to do? I'm going to fake it. I'm going to show up, and I'm going to be nice, and then I'm going to leave. Well, you know, uh, I, I don't have to adopt these people. I don't have to do it. Just calling them these people. They're our customers. Yeah. But, uh, they're, uh, did, did you no. see that in your
1: interview? I'm no, going to fake but, it. Uh, <laughs> No, I did in my captain's
2: them. interview. Okay, okay, Yeah, no, I I, you know, got I, I was job. honest. I knew. I, I, and I could back it up and say, oh, no, 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 I've worked for a lot of captains. They don't even fake it, man. I think it's very important that you don't leave the patient crying. That's well, the most important thing
1: in any successful relationship is somebody's faking something sometimes. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what it we is. All, we all have to take a turn sometimes. Just just bite your tongue and you'll get through it. And then whether can have extra a, dessert. Yeah, that Valentine's that day. day tomorrow. There's
1: going to be guys out there faking the fact that they love going to
2: wherever the opera is or yeah. whatever
0: it is. Mm. We got to fake
2: it till we make it. There you go. But that's kind of what we're working on now, Vance. That we got the uh, other thing. We're working on ARF modules, books. Oh, so that there's. A, we've got a lot of stuff simmering right now. It's good. We have spent the last three or four years readjusted some things. And here in the uh, in October, we turned off our old internet and turned on the new internet. And the reason we turned on the new internet is so we can actually post up content when we want to post it up. As we have control of the website now, and as we move forward, it's going to keep expanding. So you're going to have a landing page here the next week or so. So that's going to provide probably about 98% of all functionality before we took it down. Now, we're going to take the rest of this year and we're going to expand It is the continuing education piece is going to get filled out. The stuff Terry and I were talking about here is as we start developing that is we're going to start sharing it. So as soon as we have content to put out and there'll be a way that people can comment on and come back and forth. So it's, uh, yeah, we're going to get noisier here moving forward.
0: Excellent. I'm looking forward to that.
2: Well, Devans, you're here. I mean, yeah, we got a full time DJ now. That's why, so, all that's these why people. Here. Yeah. Keep making the stickers. <laughs> keep, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in keep fact, the beard. Yeah. Gotcha. What I want from them is I want them to send, if they're blue card departments, just put your stickers on your helmet and send it to us and we'll hang them on the wall. Yeah. We're getting ready to expand that again here in the next yeah. month or two. So, we, yeah, we're. Defund.
1: Why don't they just say what they really want to say? What's Use that? the word whatever that is, yeah defund. defund they're using the word they're trying to be polite saying defund yeah. what do you really I think want it's
0: to I say? think it's a take on the defund the police yeah. where you know
2: advance uh, the other one's getting defunded yeah. we're we're trying to make it better that that's that's what we're here for so that that's uh yeah
0: want to do a timeless tactical truth <laughs>
2: always yeah that, that's another that's, they're timeless. You know, we, we have a stack of them well, <laughs> well.
1: <laughs> what do you got?
0: Light, all right, timeless tactical truth from Bruno. And <laughs> this one's just in time for tax season. We all got our W-2s in the mail. It says, in fire command and tax preparation, don't ever let your inclination to Campbell outperform your fear. I love this one.
2: Yeah. Because it equates
0: two things that are gonna get you in trouble if you uh do allow your inclination to uh gamble outperform your fear.
2: You know, a hundred years ago I wrote an article about a fire department accountant that uh did your tax preparation for you. And and that was uh, All those people ended up getting letters from the IRS later on for uh, amounts of money that they never were going to be able to produce.
0: It was a uh, a kitchen table accountant in the firehouse, right? And what he did is he started from
2: the very bottom line, and he'd say, how much do you want your return to be? And they'd pencil that in, and so it was like a wish and a dream, and then they worked it backwards. And I remember sitting there once saying, you're going to have to change the other number of the number of taxes he paid because they won't give the returns more. you know that that's kind of
1: when i saw that i was thinking hold my beer and watch this yeah Yeah. because the only difference is on the fire ground you you don't have a beer it's kind of like hold my brain and watch this what's how i use my ego to get myself in a really bad position right yeah exactly because that's Mm -hmm. what it is right there
2: yeah yeah oh
1: incredible
2: well, and usually like what that. happens is that a couple minutes later, you're on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, that didn't go like I thought I it should I do that with
1: my mountain bike every once in a while. I said, oh, I could do that. Yeah. And then you lay there and dust yourself off and do the whole full body. Okay, nothing's broke.
0: I'm not as good as I once was. You can't do that. <laughs>
1: hey, thank God yeah. for that guy, yeah. right? Yeah. He's gone.
2: No, we kept burn uh, treatments in our station. Silva yeah. Dane, and yeah, they're probably not the smartest group of people. Is this ever. the
1: first time you, you threw up the pitcher of Bruno <laughs> a little bit? I wasn't here last time. Yeah, that's the first I time I like that. That's yeah. a nice touch.
0: Yeah. Well that, makes that, me that's 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 the way we'll do it from now on.
1: So. I like that. And,
0: yeah. And then we have new ones coming soon too, so oh, there'll wow. be more. Oh, right, you. right. More, more timeless tactical. Oh, truths. we're finding them a everywhere. Second volume, Vance. I sent you the, the yeah. work files, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, all we need now is just to put a puny tune with yeah. each one of them. We'll so, yeah, exactly. It, it's,
0: it's. We have lots to do. <laughs> All right, fellas, it's been fun. Thank you.
1: Hopefully we got something out of this one. Yeah, wow. I
0: always do.
2: I yeah we did something. And How we, long we go, Vance?
0: Oh, it's been over an hour. Okay. When we
1: write this down in an article, it seems a lot clearer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us on B-Shifter. It gets messy in person. <laughs>